0: Hi everyone, Tom Salami here. Thanks for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Very happy to be speaking with Ryan Eglin today. Ryan is the Senior Director of Business Development and Licensing at Medtronic. He uh, works in the Surgical Innovations Group, and he's focused on mergers and acquisitions of the strategic type. So uh, he's no doubt going to be a popular person at the MedTech Conference. Not that he wouldn't be popular on his own, but uh, he'll be there June 1st in Minneapolis. He's actually just joined our advisory board, so we're very grateful to have uh, insights from uh, such an important acquirer uh, like Medtronic, helping us uh, craft our agenda. And of course, I'm, I'm thankful that he took uh, a half hour to talk to me for the podcast. In this conversation, we'll talk about Medtronic, uh, what it's looking for, where Ryan sort of fits into the, the uh, acquisition of new technologies, what can make a deal, go south, uh, what can really, uh, make a deal, get, get through. And we also talked a bit at the, be- at the beginning about Ryan's path there. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. He's trained as a, a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Uh, he has, uh, started a, a gene company and has been involved as a, as in a medtech startup. So he, uh, he also has a, an MBA and is a, a Rhodes scholar. So he, he brings a lot to the conversation, which is why I think I enjoyed it so much, and I hope you do too. Before we get uh, rolling the tape, I uh, do want to remind you that the MedTech Conference is coming up on June 1st. Uh, Registration has been open. The agenda is on the website. Go to medtechconference.com. You can uh, still register uh, for our early rate. Uh, You'll save uh, about $300 off the final fee. And if you use your MedTechTalk code, you'll save a couple hundred bucks off of that. So if you're going and you know you're going and you wanna save uh, basically a third off the price, you should register now. So uh, go to medtechconference.com, use the MedTechTalk promotional code and you'll save yourself a little bit of money. Now let's get into this conversation with Ryan Egland of Medtronic. Brian Eglin, welcome to the uh, MedTech Talk podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, it's great to have someone uh, in your position uh, on the podcast. It's normally the the, the strategic folks uh, don't for some reason like to to make themselves avail- available for these sort of interviews. So it's nice to get a an inside view on what's going on at, at Medtronic. Um, but the first question I ask for everyone is. Um, kind of an icebreaker but in your case i think it's a, a legitimate question how did you find your way into uh into medtech and more specifically uh to because you've got uh, you've got quite a varied background uh, between uh, starting a looks like a gene company while you're at MIT and and studying to uh to be a plastic surgeon uh give us a bit of your history and and, and tell us how it, it led to where you are today yeah great question
1: tom and uh you know it's been enjoyable to hear uh, responses from the audience and in, in prior podcasts I think for myself, it, you know I've, I've learned I've, I'm really a product of the places I've been, the experiences I've had and probably most of all, and most importantly is the mentors and the and the people uh, that have come before me and advised me but you know I early on uh, grew up in the Twin Cities and I think you know having, Lived in other cities and and places and done other things. Coming back to Minneapolis now, uh, it just becomes very clear to me that med tech is sort of in the water supply here. So, <laughs> you know, from a from a young age, I I was involved in science and technology. Spent um, many hours at Deal Hall at the University of Minnesota, and then ultimately uh, had a career where I traveled as a uh, initially a scientist to Oxford University. Uh, worked in genetics, and really spent time in the laboratory. And then later on, actually uh, spanning uh, many trips across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, went to medical school and really decided early on that I wanted to spend the rest of my time in some combination, at least, of science and medicine. Um, but incidentally, through my experiences in primarily in England, caught a bug uh, in the late 90s, really, for entrepreneurship, for innovation, and for economics. And so during training and and subsequently in the clinic and taking care of patients, I became quite clear to myself that I wanted to get back into science and mm-hmm. into into business. So I uh, left, ultimately made the decision to leave clinical practice full time, thought I might go back to it. Um, but built a a small um, 510K device in the late 2000s and ultimately determined that uh, I was doing a little bit of clinical practice and a little bit of innovation and probably doing neither of them particularly well. So I decided (laughs) at that point um, to really take the plunge and um, become fully involved in in med tech. And that's when I I joined Covidian.
0: Interesting. So, well, actually, one thing I want to address, and I didn't bring it up with Kirk Nielsen last week, uh, but growing up in Boston, we obviously—I I grew up in Boston. We have a med tech, uh, strong med tech community here, but I don't think it leaves the kind of imprint that it leaves on younger folks uh, in the Minneapolis area. It seems like med tech is almost your your tech. People grow up here, and they, they look at the computer industry, maybe, and that they feel an, a kinship or an affinity toward that to some degree. But you don't see that with MedTech. It sounds like in in Minneapolis there really is. You you grow up there and as you said, it it's in the water. It's something that you're at least aware of and you see it as as a, mm-hmm. a potential path. How how strong is that lure of MedTech?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I was just, you know, I, I learned only recently actually having um been acquired into Medtronic, there's a there's a great deal of attention um paid to the history of the company of Medtronic, which is really fascinating. And I only learned recently that um, really the genesis of Medtronic as a company started really at the at the University of Minnesota with C. Walton Lillehigh and of course Earl Bakken um, in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. And I only learned recently that you know the, the laboratory and some of the some of the same buildings that I spent my time doing science fair projects early on as a junior high school student um, were in the same buildings that uh, Earl Bakken was running around on the wards with uh, with Lilahai. So, <laughs> y- you know, it's those sorts of uh, juxtapositions of um, people that have come before you. I think that just leaves an indelible mark on uh, on the geography, uh, on the people, on the culture. And I don't know if it's the culture or that creates the fertile ground for med tech or med tech influences the culture. It's probably a little bit of both. But I think you're, you know, Tom, you're exactly right. It's, um, I know it's T.S. Eliot. He says something like, you know, we shall not cease from exploration. and At the end of exploring, we'll arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I certainly uh, agree with you having kind of lived in the great city of Boston and Chicago, D.C., uh, living abroad, you know, now coming back here, uh, I, I think you're exactly right. There's a, a clear ethos of, of med tech. And, you know, it's just a network. It's a skill set. It's kind of how people think about mm-hmm. their careers. And it's, it's definitely part of the culture here.
0: That's great. That's why we love having, having the conference there. How did you, though, find your way, get, getting back to you, find your way to, well, no, first question, did you, was uh, being a surgeon and a practice, practicing physician, was that ever on the table?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely was. You know, I, I was fortunate in my career that I had the option, you know, as I was going through residency, kind of, you know, as I had mentioned, I had done other things before medical school in contrast to, to many many of my classmates who, you know, did the pre-med thing and then went straight into a medical school and then went straight directly into into residency, you know, I'd sort of tasted uh, activities outside of the the. The track of clinical practice, both in business, entrepreneurship, and and in science. And so, when I went into residency, I kind of had in the back of my mind that if I really loved being a surgeon, I could certainly do it. But um, but if if I chose to, you know, really look carefully at how many hours there are in a day, it would be difficult to be a surgeon, uh, be an entrepreneur, and you know, be a scientist all at the same time. So I came pretty quickly. Realize that you know I wouldn't give it up for the world. I, you know, taking care of patients, um, you know, saving lives, and and literally, um, you know, becoming all enveloped in the practice of medicine um, is an experience that very few people have. And I'm I'm honored and blessed to have been a part of it. But you know, to be honest with you, Tom, I think uh, intellectually, um, being part of a big organization, filtering through all of the complexities of what it takes to Move from innovation to a real sustainable businesses is, is the most stimulating, and I would say perhaps the most challenging of all of my um, different experiences is, is really been in the commercial realm because it's not only the technology and the clinical relevance, but of course it's the organization, it's the people, it's the ability to execute, it's the product market fit, and all of the um, infinite things that go into ultimately commercial success. So I've been very, very happy to find myself in the commercial world.
0: No, that's fantastic. But how did you get to a company like Kavidian? I mean, given your, your MD degree, you had some, some experience starting a company. I mean, that, that sounds to me like a recipe for someone who's either going to be a, a serial entrepreneur or maybe work at a, at a VC fund. Um, very rarely do you see someone, I think from, from that position, follow follow a a, a path into a, a larger strategic. How did you find yourself to, uh, your your way to Cavidian? Yeah, great question. Well, you know again, it kind of comes
1: back to the people, um believe it or not. i um after leaving full time practice, um was doing part time practice, and, as I had mentioned, um working in a small startup, so trying to do both. And this was in the 2009 era, and if you can imagine, um, you know, we had built a 510k approval approved product, um, and we're just looking to essentially get some scale. And you can imagine um, the challenges of getting venture or other funding in the late 2000s were not easy for medtech. Um, and I quickly became aware of uh, the limitations that I had as a as a you know an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. In the complexities of regulatory approvals, I could see the writing on the wall for the medical economic concerns, which, although not um, as as vocal back then, were were clearly going to be an impediment. I could see just from being a, a physician to large scale market adoption of you know gid, of of widgets so to speak. So I, I clearly recognized that, you know, I really wanted to get exposed to a large organization. Um, and that was a conscious choice. And so I ended up um, connecting, actually. Um, Kirk Nielsen may not even remember, but, um, you know, Bobby Azamian was a, a med school classma- classmate of mine. He was a Rhodes oh. Scholar, and we studied in, in Oxford. He put me in touch with Kirk and Kirk, Kirk was the one that sort of planted the idea. You know, he looked at my CV and we had sort of a heart-to-heart conversation. And he said, you know, you should really get some, some corporate experience. And I took his advice to heart and connected with um, a friend of a friend, basically, um, ultimately through Dale Spencer. Uh, small world again. Um, amazing. But uh, connected with a woman by the name of Ann Hickey, and Anne was working for. Stacey Ensing, saying at EV3, which had just been acquired by Covidian, and Ann <laughs> gave me some, some great advice. She said, just come in and, and get started, and you know, you'll quickly find a route and a path, and that's exactly what's happened.
0: That's terrific. So let's get into what you actually do and, and what you're doing at Kavidian now in Medtronic. Well, now it just kind of sparked another question. So you, you started at Cavidian. How long were you working there before uh, the merger with, with Medtronic, and what was that transition like?
1: So I think I was there about three years. You know, in fact, when I started, EV3 had been acquired by Covidian, I think maybe about a year or two before that, and uh, had largely been left um, as an independent entity. So it really hadn't been integrated by Covidian at that point. And so I got to witness um, the transformation of cultures from essentially EV3 to Covidian and then very quickly to Medtronic. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I think I lived through firsthand, um, you know, the, the challenges and also the, the opportunities of, of those acquisitions and those, those integrations. Um, and I think certainly there was, uh, you know, there was some, some challenges and there's always growing pains in any integration and certainly in BD we are, are very attuned to cultural fit. And, you know, I think in the case of, of EV3 and Covidian, as Stacy described, it was a really good match. Um, you know, not perfect, but, you know, an excellent match that really led to um, a transformation of Covidian into a growth company. And then, you know, arguably um, became attractive to Medtronic as a subsequent acquisition. So, you know, I think the wonderful thing about um living through those is number one in BD. It gives me a, a, a more intimate sense of some of the challenges and opportunities and in integrations. Um, but then number number two, I think, is just the, the tremendous access to really sharp people um, in larger organizations and the ability to kind of leverage different departments and different expertise mm-hmm. um, as those cultures come together. has been a fascinating learning experience for me.
0: Yeah, that, that had to be a real um... – Great crash course to go through two major transitions like that because you really you, you learn so much actually sitting through the, 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 the merger of two, the, the combination of two cultures, the acquisition of a company. So many unknowns become known and you have to adapt to them and, and, and learn to anticip, anticipate the next ones. I have to think that was a great, uh, uh, again, a great crash course in, in and in a graduate course in, uh, in merger and acquisition going through those two experiences.
1: Oh, you—you, you, I think you nailed it, Tom. I mean, essentially, um, you know, to live through that experience. You know, I—I I always kind of view my career as a as a very well-paid internship, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always learning. And you know, at least for me, being kind of a curious person, um, you know, I—I—I I, I, I just, as you said, to, to kind of witness the convergence of cultures, the um, differences in processes um you know working across different geographies um aligning different management structures and different you know customer segments putting it all together leveraging the best of both organizations i mean to just kind of witness that firsthand was a fascinating learning experience and left definitely an indelible appreciation of um the importance of doing um M&A because you know as a colleague of mine said um you know, M and A can make really good things happen, and it can make really bad things mm-hmm. happen too if it's not done right.
0: Very true. So, what what is your uh, your job at Medtronic specifically? What division do you work for, and and what is your function?
1: So, I work for a, a group within uh, Medtronic called MITG, Minimally Invasive Therapies Group, and um, within that group, we have a number of different businesses. Um, but primarily that group is, is the legacy Covidian group, um, exclusive of the vascular businesses. So I work in the surgical division and my role is to source, um, and then execute on, uh, acquisitions, distribution deals, partnerships, co-marketing, co-development agreements, um, and other relationships with external organizations, licensing as well. So, mm-hmm. um, Prior to joining the surgical group, I was in our early technologies group, which, um, which very similar to um, the surgical uh, role, was focused again on on typical BD M&A transactions and and soft relationships, so to speak. Um, that organization um, is a is a, a more market development led organization, and so is a little bit more on the the tip of the spear of of new technologies that. You know, are potentially higher growth, but also higher risk. Mm-hmm. So I've had the, the luxury of uh, doing BD in both of those uh, aspects of the, of the MITG organization within Medtronic. All
0: right, let's take a break from this conversation with Ryan to invite you to again register for the MedTech Conference. It's coming up on June 1st. Go to medtechconference.com, use the MedTech Talk code, save yourself some money. You can see the agenda on medtechconference.com. We're not quite done yet. Uh, we're working on uh, one big thing that may or may not happen, and one, uh, I don't want to say small thing, but, a, but a, 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 a more achievable addition to the agenda. So we're doing some final tweaking. But if you go up and take a look at the agenda right now, I think it's pretty dang strong. Uh, we've got uh, Joel Meter of Baxter and Michael Mahoney of Boston Scientific giving keynote conversations. So um, it's going to be a great day and I hope you join us there. So go to medtechconference.com so we can see you on June 1st at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. Now let's get back into this conversation with Ryan Egland. So are you the one out there sort of uh, being the bird dog pointing to the innovative idea that, uh, that Medtronic needs to at least know about or are you the one who uh, charges in after those opportunities have been pointed out by someone else?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. So we have, you know, we have um, within MITG, um, within the the business units, you know, a half a dozen or so BD folks. And then, um, you know, a few also at the MITG group level. So it's not a whole bunch of us really in BD and that's on a, you know, approximately a $12 billion uh, revenue uh, group within Medtronic. So, No, my role is definitely to to chase and and source deals, find technologies. You know, I I typically, probably in a given year, look at, you know, several hundred uh, potential companies or small companies, private, public, um, IP, uh, or other types of activities that we might want to participate in. So deal sourcing is a big part of my day-to-day. And then, of course, relationship building um, with potential companies or uh, companies that we may want to acquire or participate or invest in. So um yeah, we definitely uh w- we're spread thin, but the the beauty of it is we get to do all of that and then ultimately, of course, if there's a an opportunity that fits, you know, the markets are attractive and the technology fits our strategic goals within Medtronic and the financials look good, um ultimately it's me or one of my colleagues that will then be the quote-unquote deal champion and uh, promote that through the organization, and of course leverage um, all the experts and the and the managers and the and the leaders within the organization um, to essentially pitch the deal internally.
0: You must be in- insanely popular at conferences like ours and, and probably dinner parties around the Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area. I'm sure people, other guests, <laughs> like to know that you're <laughs> that you're hunting on on behalf of Medtronic.
1: Well, I got to say it's a pretty fun job because it's it's sort of the antithesis of of sales in a way, right? I mean, yeah. people are are kind of selling us, <laughs> and and that, so you know I'm not by nature a, probably a, a salesman, so it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice position to be in, but I also take it as a as a grave and serious responsibility sure. because certainly, um, you know, having essentially been the last stop uh, between a, a company that hasn't led led. Um, you know, hasn't had a, a, a fruitful, profitable path and bankruptcy, um, you know, I take that role very seriously. And even more so, I think, you know, the the company and Medtronic has a mission around innovation and certainly, um, you know, our, our stated mission to alleviate pain, restore health and extend life, I think runs deep. And, uh, you know, I've just noticed, uh, you know, the Medtronic culture and certainly the Canadian culture as well but we really do take that seriously and so having been a technical innovator being having been on the other side of the table as a as a startup founder um I take that role very seriously so but but it is um it is a fun role that's for sure
0: sure no I'm sure you get to hear a lot of uh interesting pitches interesting technologies how specific is your charter I mean, are you Do you have a list of uh, a shopping list from Medtronic saying we need something that does this and something that fits there, or if you happen upon a company that has microsurgical robotics for ENT devices where there was no maybe no interest uh, in Medtronic previously, uh, are you able to sort of chase that opportunity and then try to turn around and, and pitch it to Medtronic?
1: You know, it's a it's a great question, and I think you know it. it um, my role depends sort of on the strategic objectives of the overall Medtronic organization, but even more directly, obviously, on the on the goals for MITG. And you know, I think we typically, you know, sometimes we're opportunistic. I mean, in BD, you know, there may be a, a particular product or a company, public or private, um, that has a product that fits directly with our customers. Um, you know, and is looking to be acquired? And is that an attractive financial valuation that makes sense uh, for us to be, you know, to create a an in accretive in a deal? Um, but more frequently, I think it, it starts with, you know, kind of assessing the market, you know, what, what markets do we want to be in um, that may be adjacent uh, to us? you know, and then specific to our current base of business, you know, what fits in with our our customers? Is there a product that, you know, can be essentially dropped in without adding incremental sales resources? And then lastly, of course, it's actionability, you know, targets that um, may be private, uh, not willing to sell, could could have great attractive markets, fit specifically and perfectly into our our sales channel, um, but not be actionable, so it has to be a kind of a combination of
0: all those three things this is a, calls for a, a generalization but what typically gets in the way of uh, of a deal being done, or, or more specifically when do you when might you lose interest in a, in an idea is it um, usually the the the, the, the area that 's being targeted is it the technology is it something in the execution what normally convinces you that you need to look someplace else? Great question. I'll tell you,
1: there's a lot of potential, um, you know, there's a lot of potential areas to kill deals and only a few of them to get through. So, uh, you know, typically for us, there has to be, first of all, there's, there's two big categories. One, you know, strategic alignment. Does it fit our call point? Does it fit our strategy at Medtronic? And then number two at a high level is just the finances. So, Ultimately, if there's a a product or a a company or a startup that uh, fits right into our strategy, ultimately, the finances have to work as well. And that comes down to things like synergies, whether revenue or cost synergies um, ultimately fit uh, ability to essentially de-risk the commercial opportunity. And ultimately, you know, many deals uh, can meet all of those criteria, but then there's a valuation disconnect between what we feel is the size of the market and maybe what uh, a company might feel is the size of the market. So you can get through all of the strat- strategic and financial hurdles and then just not see eye to eye on, on valuation. So um, that can happen as well sometimes. But, you know, I think ultimately it all starts from, you know, at least in, in Medtronic, it starts from an unmet clinical need. And, um, that's really the first litmus test that I use is, you know, is this a technology that really alleviates pain or advances healthcare in some way? Um, and is there data to support that? Um, because absent that, uh, you know, we're really not in an area of, um, of what Medtronic is into, um, and I've seen deals actually Tom, that you know have been financially very attractive, mm-hmm. and if you put them in front of a investment banker, they would think you were crazy not to do them, but ultimately there's a you know if there isn't a fit with the strategy it's just it's not something that we can move on in a, as as an organization and I think that's been uh, part of the success and the longevity of uh, of a company like Medtronic and and certainly Covidian
0: do you find that the number of startups uh or early stage technologies uh is is plentiful enough and uh as part of that question do you find that startup executives or entrepreneurs are more willing to kind of be open with strategics like yourself and, and give you the information you need to make a decision because there was traditionally there's always been a, just a apprehension about working with strategics for for some legitimate some less legitimate reasons but what is the environment like out there? Yeah, you know I think it's
1: it's highly uh, it's highly deal dependent so for the case of a of a distribution or a transactional type deal that is really around commercial synergies and less so about the clinical uh, or economic risk of a given product, um, the relations there there can be very transactional and in case many many cases it's a it's a banker that that leads those interactions for us. Um, in the case of the earlier startups, and I, I, I've really enjoyed, you know, working, having a, a number of, of long-term relationships with the startup founders, some of them in the area, um, it, it's really about a, kind of a mutual understanding and ideally over the course of multiple years, um, gaining a a broad appreciation of the technology, um, about the risks for the technology, very often the regulatory path and the regulatory risks. And then more recently, um, you know, the medical economic or the reimbursement risks and working in a collaborative fashion, I think, um, is a win-win, um, from my perspective. Now that takes time and, you know, sometimes you don't have the luxury of time in, in a transaction, but, the more that the small company can understand our strategic and financial goals, and the more that we can understand about the development pathway and limitations of the potential acquired company, um, the more able we're, be, we're able to, to structure a long-term strategy that makes a win-win for their investors, for their management, and then for our shareholders. So ultimately, I think you know, the best transactions are the product of, of long-term relationships, typically five years or more.
0: Fascinating. And this final question. I know. You, I know you need to go, but what is what is your your high moment? Uh, you know, you, you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you create a company, you sell it. That's a fist bumping scenario. Same with a VC. If you're in sales, you you make a big sales. That's that's an opportunity for you to celebrate. You're really in the middle of everything. What what is your your what really charges you? Give, gives you a charge from this job. What is what what do you, what kind of passion do you get? From from having this role in advancing uh, innovation, when do you give yourself mm. a high five or, or high five other other people on the team that you've mentioned? Boy, that's a great question. You know, kind of feeling in the zone. You know,
1: I've had the 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 luxury of feeling like that in the OR, and certainly have felt it in the lab, and I'm I'm sure others have felt it in the boardroom. I, you know, in my role in in Medtronic and Covidian, Tom, to be quite honest, um, the most satisfying and rewarding experiences in, in my whole career really have been those experiences where, uh, you know, I've been part of building a team um, that creates something new. And that could be, you know, a new marketing strategy, for example, when I was in marketing or in BD, it might be, you know, developing from whole cloth, uh, a new strategy for advancing the art of, of our products or thinking about value-based healthcare, for example. Um, and being part of a team and when that team and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen often uh, or always in teams. But when you can kind of be filling each other's sentences in and and, and blazing new ground and, and building something together, um, even within an organization, um, you know, not building a company, obviously, but building a function or an activity within a larger company. Those have been some of the most rewarding experiences, really, in my in my entire career, and and I've had the luxury of having a few of those, both in, in uh, you know, in prior roles, and then in my current current role in BD. And um, it's a lot of fun when it happens.
0: Excellent. Well, I will uh, I will let you go. I appreciate the uh, the insights on uh, on what you do at Medtronic, and uh, also the help you're you've given to uh, to helping us put together the MedTech conference. It's great having you on the advisory board.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure and it's a great, great network and it's a, it's a great team. Likewise. So glad to be part of it, Tom. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your efforts as
0: well. Terrific. Thanks, Ryan. And that is a wrap, Ryan. Thanks for the time today. Ryan Eglin of Medtronic. It's great to, uh, understand a bit more about the A process, uh, from a strategic perspective. So, uh, grateful again for the peek inside and, and, uh, for the discussion about your background. I think it's, uh, I think I may use the uh, the internship line myself uh, in the near future. It was a good one. So, thanks also to our MedTech Talk podcast listeners for joining us. You could help us you can help us out a lot by uh, give us giving us a ranking on uh, iTunes and that that helps others find this podcast and it also helps us know how we're doing. You could also just flat out email folks and say you should be listening to this great podcast about MedTech innovation you could certainly do that. You can copy me if you want to. I'd love to hear your comments. But if you just want to email me with some thoughts or comments or suggestions for the uh, podcast, feel free to do that. It's tom at healthgy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the uh, producer of this wonderful podcast and of course, the extraordinary MedTech Conference, which will be happening on June 1st. So, Go to medtechconference.com. Don't forget to register by uh, the end of this month, by April 1st specifically, so you can save yourself $300 off the final fee. But you can also toss in the MedTech Talk promotional code, and you'll save yourself $200 off of that. So there's really no reason to wait. Go to medtechconference.com, and we will see you in Minneapolis.